I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Does something wicked this way come, Rose? Something wicked this way is about to come all over your face. No! If you had a familiar, uh-huh. you know, a, a witch's familiar, yeah, what yeah. would it be? You a cat girl? No, 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 no. I, I'm not a cat toad girl. Not a dog girl. Not a toad girl. Some kind of bird? I think it would be some kind of bird. An owl? No, not an owl. No. Um, what would you? While I think about this, what would yours be? Because I'm sure you have an immediate answer. Okay, well, I'm allergic to cats. Yeah. So that's not going to work. No. Dogs are a lot of work. Dogs are a lot of work. <laughs> I think um, a wild animal who was kind of independent and just was like there when I needed them. So like a wolf who oh, did who did idea. who did my bidding. But also, I mean, a bird is nice because they can sort of like carry messages for yeah, you. Yeah, they can. Um, but maybe a snake. Wolves are really good as defenders, though. I That's like a nice... I like a wolf also because of the sort of vampiric implications. You know, like Dracula can turn into a wolf. I would pick a big cat. I would do like um, a bobcat, a jaguar, a wild cat of some kind. I'm gonna have a wolf who can turn into a dog when I need them to. Like when we go to Erewhon, that's my really wolf good. becomes a dog, and they're like a service dog. Ooh, that's. <laughs> An anxiety dog. An anxiety anxiety dog. Okay, so we have our familiars. Today, we are talking about witchcraft. We're talking about witchcraft, which is um, the occult, covens, magic... Um, mysticism, mysticism, hocus pocus, spookies, something wicked this way comes. Uh, and we are going to dive deep into our own experience as witches, mm-hmm. the formative media about witches that have made us the um, witches we are today. 
And um, prevalence of witch culture. What does it mean in 2022? Yeah, so hop on your broomstick because this is like a virgin, the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Domu. And I'm Fran Torado. <laughs> <laughs> But that's really, that's too good. That was just a normal laugh. That was actually fully my normal laugh. Rose, the virgins need to know that when you and I go to an AMC theater, especially, you know, if it's at like a mall like The Grove or like AMC CityWalk or whatever, the price of dressing cool is that teens feel comfortable walking up to us and asking us if we'll be in their TikToks. Yeah, it it finally has happened. Um, we have <laughs> we have been stopped by those people who make TikToks where they have a microphone and ask people questions. We were stopped and in unison. In unison. When this little girly said, hi, can we ask you a question for a TikTok? We just in unison went, no. no. And kept and <laughs> kept it pushing. Oh, we didn't even stop. No. Like, we were just like, no, 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 no. No, we Sorry. had our Sephora bags and we were... <laughs> Up, Chill up, up, up and away. <laughs> and uh, we have to say, we had a handful of things to talk about this week, but I think that just for today, we're maybe only going to talk about one movie we saw this weekend. Yes, because as queer podcasters, it is <laughs> our sacred duty. Our state-sanctioned duty. Yeah, to have an official take on Bros starring Billy Eichner. Which is know, kind I don't of, know if you've heard of it. We're being jokey because... It, you actually that, might not have heard of it because a lot of people haven't seen it. Someone, two people texted me this weekend and they were like, what is this bros controversy? Um, so if you're not aware, Billy Eichner's first mainstream rom-com starring a gay man who felches or whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> came out this weekend. It's about a queer podcaster triggering it's about a gay podcaster who Mm -hmm. is also a history buff and is on the board of directors for new york city's first lgbtq plus museum Mm -hmm. who meets a man who is very much the type of gay that he really has no time for yeah which is like a chelsea hell's kitchen gym bro Mm -hmm. and yet somehow they manage to fall in love yes yes and that really is kind of the whole movie like it's that simple it's a rom-com you and I had similar takes about the movie, but a different overall experience. Like, when you walked out, like, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I just care about it less than I think you do. Mm. Um, mm. Intr- okay, an interesting framing of that continue. Well, no, I I, I guess it's, it's more that I... I would agree with that. I'm, I'm able to just kind of simplify the way that I feel about it, which is, mm. I think it's very flawed in terms of um, the way it's trying to over-represent... A, a, queer people as a community. That being said, I do think it's a pretty good romantic comedy and I enjoyed watching it. And if I was, you know, at my mom's house in Florida and it came on HBO, I would totally watch it again. Which I'm not going to lie, I, I'm shook by, but I completely respect. And I walked out of it feeling like I didn't really like it that much. I didn't hate hate it by any means. Oh, no, like, you were you were fired up on the ride home. I was, okay, okay, let, uh, I'll be real. I was mad. You but were I'm, mad. I was mad. We were driving on the I freeway and you were angry. But I, I thought we were going to hit someone. But I'm taking accountability for the fact that I'm not angry about what the movie offers. The, the movie is a perfectly fine movie that belongs in an echelon of bro comedies like 40-year-old version and 
Knocked Up or whatever these other movies are. And I think I I want to clarify. I think we talked about this a little bit Mm -hmm. this weekend. When you say bro comedy, like we're talking about this Judd Apatow ass mainstream comedy from the male perspective. Mm-hmm. Anchorman, super bad, like stepbrothers. We have had some of these types of films from the perspective of women. And, and so and that's why I'm trying to like tone back my anger because my anger is around like the sentiment surrounding the film, how the film has been presented to us from a press perspective, but like just on the film level in and of itself, like the the the, the movie's fine and and I flawed but fine. Flawed but fine. And like I'm just not the target demographic for a bro comedy. Like all of those movies I listed are like my least favorite movies ever. And I'm just I'm I'm not I'm not they're not for me. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that they shouldn't exist, you know? Um I do think you would like knocked up. I, knocked up is fun. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I don't know. I should also say, like, I love Billy's comedic stylings. The jokes in this movie are really, really good. Not yes. all, but a lot of them are really good jokes. No, there's, um, I'm still giggling about one that references The Greatest Showman, and if you know, you know. Yeah. I loved Billy Eichner's Difficult People. I want it back. I felt like it was I great. Don't. Which is shocking to me, because a lot of these jokes are, like, quintessential Billy in the Bros movie. Um, but I guess I don't difficult. like that show. I don't like the woman who plays his friend. I find her unwatchable. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And even though I love difficult people, the things that make it difficult to watch is that these characters are really, really miserable. And I felt that way, kind of watching Bros as well. Like it was hard for me to really appreciate sometimes the movie as a whole because. Every single character is so miserable and, like, really, like, hates other members of the community and hates everyone around them. And I was, like, looking for reprieve from that. And there was a lot of salient critique about, like, gay men in general. Like, this movie talks a lot and says a lot of very accurate things about what it means to not be able to communicate your emotions properly to a partner, how hookup culture or polyamory really convolutes um, romantic relationships. And some really good humor comes out of that, too. Yes, really good humor. And it also exploits how, even though, you know, polyamory or open relationships or hookup culture or whatever are things that are liberatory and freeing and define us as queer people, they also complicate our relationships when we don't have the fluency to navigate them, which most men do not you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but like part of the reason this movie doesn't hit as hard is because it's coming out like five to ten years too late you know what i mean i'm sure that a movie like this takes so much longer to make than any other movie because it's a gay movie like i get that and that's not the movie's fault but it would have been a lot easier to watch 10 years ago i would have a lot less to say about it yeah but i think 10 years ago they wouldn't even have attempted to no. try to make it about queerness outside of the gay male experience, which mm-hmm. maybe would have been ultimately better because I think a lot of what this movie gets wrong is in trying to make it a statement about queer community and queer history. And a big plot line in this film is that Billy is a director of this LGBTQ plus history museum that opens <laughs> and we're told again and again how historic and important it is. And it's that's clearly coded also as language about the movie we're watching, which in no way is historic. Like I think no. it's I think it's a good movie, but I don't think it's 
historic or groundbreaking or anything. And I think if they had just focused on the parts of it that worked, which were, you know, being a rom-com, that would have been so much better than trying to shoehorn in all of this stuff about representation and community and queer history. And I mean, ultimately, I think it would have just been better if Billy's character had been a dentist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or like a firefighter or like had like a, <laughs> a, a an Etsy store or something. <laughs> I don't know. A firefighter. An Etsy store would have been great. I would have bought that. That's that is actually such a good point. Like this character is kind of like an Eric Servini esque kind of like passionate, bright, like loves like the legacy of like queer history and thinks it's so important. Like I didn't buy that from Billy at all because of the way the character acted for the rest of the movie when he wasn't a gay podcaster. And I was like, it's just, it just was disingenuous. And to your point, like the moments where the movie tries to make jokes or make the movie about, because it does, about queer and trans people at writ large, like the LGBTQ community writ large, are the least successful parts of the movie. Like, I mean, just to like exemplify it, like this movie talks about Marsha P. Johnson throwing the fucking first oh brick at God. Stonewall like at least three times. Leave like, her alone. Let she, her rest. <laughs> let her Hasn't rest. Hasn't she been through enough? <laughs> Seriously. It was just, it, it was very like, um. I know that the people that go and see this movie, they might not have the queer 101 on the history. So I would have, forgiven it if it didn't come back so many times and also if it just didn't come from billy it just like i didn't feel like the movie was at any point really trying to represent anything other than gay men and i would have very much so appreciated a movie that was just about gay men sure i i I would have also especially in terms of how it was marketed and how mm-hmm. people are talking about it. Because what I really don't appreciate is this conversation that's that's happening, not just through Billy and the press tour of this movie, but even people that I see on TikTok saying it's our responsibility as queer people to go see this film so that it sends a message to Hollywood that they should make more gay movies and that if this film flops, that's it. That's it for queer media. There's never going to be another queer film made again. And I just don't buy into that argument Mm -hmm. i think like make a better movie yeah and as as like that sentiment is i understand reparative to like years and years of the ways gatekeepers like repress the movement of like queer stories but like it's an asinine take like if you think that we are all contractually obligated to consume all of like the gay culture that exists out there it's like you have like a lot of adam lambert like albums to fucking listen to. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you like all y'all like are trying to pretend like you have this like broad fluency and have seen everything gay that has ever come out. Like I sincerely doubt that Billy Eichner has seen, I don't know, The Handmaiden or like other amazing like queer and trans films that let's like such a random like kind of romance that I'm thinking of. Like a, a guess maybe more of an erotic thriller. I doubt he's even seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But anyways, my point really is that like It is a really righteous and unhelpful thing to do to say that if you don't see this movie, you're homophobic. Righteousness is really the right word for it. Because that Mm -hmm. is, you know, his... He needs to just get off Twitter. Because his thread the other day about how this movie flopped because straight people didn't show up for it and because people are homophobic, which, like, of course that's true. Mm -hmm. But he needs to step away. I know he's trying to sell this movie, but... What has served Billy so well in his career, which is that he'll say anything to anyone, Mm -hmm. is really not working right now. No, it's not. And, like, 
okay, I actually do think straight people should see this movie. Like, I, I agree with that. Um, it's just, yeah, to your point, like, this whole, like, the movie failed because of X, Y, and Z. It's like, just take accountability for your movie, man. And like, it's not like there's not a market for gay love stories for straight people. Like, a lot of cis-hetero women consume content mm -hmm. about gay men. Like, I read fan fiction. I know they do. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why fucking Red, White, and Royal Blue yeah. is as popular as it is, or Song of Achilles, or whatever. Like, yeah. people are consuming gay love stories. They're just, like, not really consuming this one. And I, I really, I feel the pain of, like, what it means to make anything for a queer audience right to like to sign up and say i'm gonna make something for a historically marginalized audience is setting yourself up in part for failure because yeah. you're going to make a lot of people mad yeah. because the people that see themselves represented are going to feel that you're not doing it accurately and the people that don't see themselves represented are going to feel erased and that is the paradox of representation and why it will always fail and why we just need to, as a whole, like get away from like representational thinking writ large because that is why the movie didn't succeed. And like we're trying to like I, you, you and I like really tried to like separate this movie from its press rollout. Right. But like it actually could not be separated because Billy and the team were so Insistent. They didn't want us to separate it. No, like every, they didn't. Every part of this rollout and the film itself is in conversation with each other, and I think it should be able to stand on its own. And and for me, like that's the thing is, ultimately for me, I did still enjoy it. Yeah. I can I can be critical of it and think all these things, and I still think it's like a pretty good movie. I still enjoyed it. Exactly the same way I can say that like there were hysterical jokes and that a lot of the casting was amazing. Guy Branham, phenomenal. I also think like. Outside of the movie, Guy Branham is, like, a perfect and incisive voice around, like, representation and all these different things. Bowen was so good in Bowen it. Bowen was some of the best parts of the movie. Deborah Messing, oh, my God. Yeah, amazing, and amazing the, um, use of Deborah Messing. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth. Kristen Chenoweth, maybe the so good. The lolliest cameo is so funny. Um, but to, like, get back to the movie, there are several scenes in, like, boardrooms where this the board of the LGBTQ museum is, like, present, right? And, of course, it's, like a lesbian, a white trans girl, a black trans girl, a non-binary person, and, like, a gay man. It's, like, this perfect panel of, like, you know, LGBTQ board members or whatever. And the the lesbian in these scenes is just, like, this loud, cantankerous woman, and there are a lot of jokes about her, like, physical strength. And, like, look, you and I, we love jokes at the expense of, like, any member of the queer community, right? Like, we, it's, okay, it's okay. Like, we're it's okay to make jokes about this. We've seen this joke from Billy Eichner before. You know what I mean? Or if not from Billy, like, we've seen this joke. Like, there was no invention in the jokes that it was making about other marginalized people. And I feel like when you do that, you're kind of punching down. And there's also, like, there's this other moment that I think encapsulates, like, a lot of the, the kind of thematic problem of the movie and this thing we keep talking about, about who it's centering, the gay man in the story, and then who it's trying to include and there's this moment where one of the trans people is like, I'm trying to hold space for you, like makes a, there's this joke about like holding space that's like kind of funny. But ultimately, they don't really get where Billy is coming from about something. And he says this remark coming hot off the disappointment of this kind of mini breakup he's going through with his boyfriend. He's saying, oh, so I'm too queer for my boyfriend and I'm not queer enough for you. And like, that was just so like 
ick to me. Like, I feel like it, it told on Billy in a way that I don't think he intended because it paints a picture of the plights of gay men, but then for some reason, like, puts it in opposition to, like, black trans people or whatever. I was just like, like, what are you trying to say? Like, the movie is about the plights of gay men. Let it just be that. Like, when you try and victimize yourself and say, oh, this other part of the community doesn't get me or whatever, I was just like, no, girl, you're just, like, privileged and you don't have any other trans friends or lesbian friends. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what it was giving at times. And to your point, like, just wish that it had stayed on the lens of gay men because it was it made really great critiques about gay male relationships and the toxicity that comes with it. Yeah. You know, you and I are people who also are storytellers. Like, I never try to write something that's going to speak to the entirety of the queer experience. I try to you know, create things that are about my experience because that's what I understand. Yeah. Um, And I just think this would have been a much more successful movie if Billy wrote just kind of a simpler gay rom-com. Yeah. I wonder, honestly, if the movie was at one point only about men. And at some point, somebody was like, well, we got to represent all these other people. And that's why so much of this was like wedged in, like the homages of like James Baldwin and Marsha P. Johnson or whatever. Like, I was like, what's going on? Like, what are we watching? Or like, well, I I also wonder if that's like almost a way to kind of incentivize, Mm -hmm. you know, queer people to see this film, or if it was something that Billy felt he owed to queer people to if he was making this big yeah. Hollywood movie, he had to, you know, Bring sort of shoehorn this in in a way that felt very, you know, disingenuous and just like kind of chick like checking off representation, you know, points boxes, on, boxes yeah. on a list of rather than telling those stories. Because like if you wanted to tell a diversity of queer stories in this film, then those people should have written it. Yeah. Not to mention when there was this scene in like the background of like one of the queer history museum exhibits where there's all these like portraits of like queer icons or whatever. And then there's a picture of Lori Lightfoot. Did you see that picture of Lori Lightfoot? It was so like, I felt insane watching it. Um, And I also honestly felt crazy because the romantic lead is like so toxic and, so like emotionally stunted i was like the whole engine of the movie was like lost on me like i was like why would you keep pursue like what are the redeeming qualities of either of these characters but that was the part to me that was the most realistic because yeah. that's what gay, it is that's very what realistic gay men do yeah i mean they're not gonna last like let's say that no like, they're these two characters they're going are, to break up yeah. six months after this movie ends yeah well we did our duty we saw bros we talked about it clocking out <laughs> clocking out From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Focus, focus. 
Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play have you ever cast a spell i have yes careful the spell you cast (laughs) on multiple occasions um what kind of spells never a love spell because as we've talked about on the pod before those are non-consensual um Mm. but i have cast spells instead you've cursed people to die horribly (laughs) yes 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 but but they consented to it just spells spells of vengeance abundance fortitude what about you i have cast many many spells Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um literally no one who listens to this podcast will be surprised to learn that as an adolescent i fancied myself a a bit of a witch a bit of a witch um i still consider myself a witch but when i was a teenager this was in the time when wicca and sort of new age spirituality was having a real moment as you could see in any borders bookstore if you went to the new age section mm-hmm. there would be books like to write a silver broomstick by silver ravenwolf mm-hmm. um, that would describe how you you know set up an altar and call to the corners and cast a circle and mm-hmm. honey I was doing all of the above in my childhood bedroom. I was casting spells. I was trying to move things with my mind. I was making lotions and potions and unguents and oils. And you in that era of your life really were like a manifestation of the the satanic panic of the late 80s and early 90s. But nothing about it was satanic. It was all it was all god every, it was all goddess ev- vibes. Honey, everything I was praying to the goddess. Honey, everything about witchcraft 
is entwined with the devil. But that also, is but also, satanic panic is more eighties. Yeah, it is more eighties. But and I, we're, and I'm not that old. Okay, but we were. We're still, talking. We're talking about early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I think what I'm trying to say is that um, in the nineties, there's still so much residue of satanic panic bleeding into the culture wars that made everyone scared of the girl that would check out the tarot deck at Borders Bookstore. I guess, but I feel almost like the acceptance of that kind of spirituality that happened in the mid to late 90s was maybe... Thanks to J.K. Rowling. <laughs> ...was maybe, like, making up for it. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it predates J.K. Rowling a yeah? little bit because, yeah, we had... I well, think, to get into it. I think the craft yeah. predates J.K. Rowling yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Late nineties, mm-hmm. we've like we've had we've, we've had left like the satanic we panic. left the satanic panic behind, and now a gentler, more empowered idea of people who flirt with the invisible. It now enters pop culture in a way where those people are the heroes of the stories rather than the villains. Exactly. And and I, I love that, you know, since this moment that we've pointed toward in the kind of like 90s, that um, instead of the... Although they were the villains in the craft, except for one of them. Sure, sure, sure. But I, I love that. Um, and, and that's the same case with like Hocus Pocus and stuff like that. But I, I love that um, the pendulum never swung back, right? Like there was, there hasn't been necessarily another like witchcraft panic to the scale of like the satanic panic because witches in kind of the cultural forces that we're talking about today, movies, TV shows, books, whatever, have only accrued in like cultural value and like meaning like i think that witches are as a feminist idea something that is even more popular now than it was in the charm in the charmed and harry totally, potter totally totally well satanic panic was very culty mm-hmm. and anyone who has watched the most recent season of stranger things knows that that is how it begun in oh. the in the 80s was People um, being scared of people who played things like Dungeons and Dragons and thinking that right. they were satanic cults and killed people. Which is also a plot line in Riverdale, it must be said. But yeah. their version of the game is called like Gorgons and Gargoyles or something like that. And so then the upswing in witch media and culture in the 90s, I do think was very much about the self it was very internalized mm-hmm. it was very feminist it was and it was also very like tied up in ideas of sisterhood with things like charmed mm. and the craft pra- practical um, magic practical magic um and then skewing over into you know broader fantasy with harry potter can you like you know harry potter aside like what were the first witchcraft cultural objects that you latched on to oh well i mean the inciting incident is of course, the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz. Da 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 she, da da. She was the moment. She's the blueprint. She's the green print. She's the green um, print. Alphaba herself. That was the first time I saw a witch on screen. And we've talked about Wizard of Oz before and how much I loved it. And even though I loved Dorothy and wanted to be Dorothy, the Wicked Witch of the West was the character who I was the most obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And she sparked what has been a lifelong obsession with witches for me. Hmm. She was the first. And then I think after that, I just, anytime there was a witch in a movie, like um, Mad Madam Mim in The Sword in the Stone, Hocus Pocus, you know, also came out in the early to mid 90s. Mm-hmm. 
if there was a character who is a witch, I was obsessed, even when she was the villain. And so then, once I was old enough to start reading on my own, I always gravitated to books with witches in them or books about witches. And as I got older, I was able to find more and more of those books where the witches were the heroes rather than the villains, yeah. or at least they were, you know, more com- more complicated than that. While we're in the villains portion, though, can we like have a moment for Mad Madam Mim from this from the Sword and the Stone? I forgot about her. She, she is iconic, and she... Lady Gaga should play her in the live action version. <laughs> that is the take. She is grotesque, and I love that. But she also is sexy because she is a shapeshifter. Wait, oh, wait, doesn't she become, like, a sexy crocodile or something? She becomes a lot of different things, but she does become, like, a hot version of herself. Similar to Ursula. She's, when very, she, she's very trans. Ursula becomes a hot version of herself. Mm, Vanessa. Um, the, the witch in um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves becomes a hot version of herself. Oh, she is also an iconic witch. Yeah. Um, the, the Maleficent, honestly, for me, was, my fir- I think, the first witch that I latched onto. Mm. I probably saw Wizard of Oz before... But I definitely remember seeing Maleficent and being like, that is my girl. But Maleficent is very much a sorceress. And I think the thing Mm -hmm. that I loved about the Wicked Witch of the West is she is the Mm prototypical witch. She's got the broomstick. The pointy hat. The pointy hat. The crystal ball. Mm -hmm. She's mixing up potions in her cauldron. Mm -hmm. You know, she was a witch. The archetypal. that's, That's what I was into. And I love that since that moment, we've had so many different takes and iterations on the archetype, not excluding Mad Madam Mim or the other the others that came up in that in that Disney era of witch witches, because there are a lot of witches in Disney movies. But um, they're almost always the villain. Right. Exactly. It's only now in sort of the post meta recontextualization of Disney that we now have empowered women who are the heroes of their stories like Frozen, where, you know, Elsa's not a witch, but she has powers. And right. she is, you know, complicated, but she's not evil. Right. I think that um, one standout from the witches of yore, maybe, that I'm thinking of is Kiki's Delivery Service, where she's the protagonist and not the villain. But that movie, I mean, it's it's Hayao Miyazaki, so obviously it's, like, it has way more, like, depth than, like, any of these, like, Disney movies or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, have you have you seen that movie? Kiki? Yeah, I love Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, my Service. God. I love, love, love that, like, her magic power is... A kind of metaphor for um, the muse, like, and for like creativity. Like, I think maybe it was an interview or something that I watched with Hayao Miyazaki, but like describing how like writers block and like artists blocks that come up are not unlike the way that Kiki all of a sudden couldn't access her powers and she didn't know why and she was trying to make sense of it and all she needed was solitude and to do something that wasn't magic to like find her magic again. I'm like I think that like that's like that as a lesson has like she relevance in, now. She was in her folklore era. Yeah, she was she was in her folklore era and honestly also not to like jump all the way to the end but like um her her Wanda era too. We'll get there. We'll get um, there. We'll get there. So some other, I think, really formative witches of my childhood were witches of Eastwick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you, yes. Have you seen? I would love, love, love to... I've seen, yes. And I would love to watch a version of the film um, without Jack Nicholson because I think he's I just, disgusting. He is disgusting, but it's still... He's integral to the story. <sighs> I still could watch it without him. I really could. It wouldn't make sense, but I would enjoy it. 
Okay. We'll, we'll try to get you a, a, yeah, a, give gir- me a, cut. a girls only cut. Girls only cut. Um, we will have, at this point, we'll already have talked a bit about Hocus Pocus during our live watch yeah. of the of Hocus Pocus 2. Though upon record, we have not. <laughs> the have upon not record, that. we have not done it yet. So, I mean, we can say that when Hocus Pocus came out, that had me in a gorilla grip, mm-hmm. you know, because even though they were the villains, I was obsessed with them. And I did not see Hocus Pocus until my 20s. Oh, my God, a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I watched it, and it was amazing. Like, the musical number, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy and Jimmy Bette Midler, like, the triad of them is omnipotent. It's like, why I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous about the sequel. Girl, it's, There's no way it can be good. There's no way it can be good, but the, I, I actually don't think it's possible for the three of them to have a bad performance. I think the movie can be bad, but I don't think that the three of them will give us a bad moment. I, I don't think Bette Midler... I just, I just hope Bette they're Midler making has, a lot of money. Here's the thing. Yeah, sure. But Bette Midler has never failed us. Kathy Najimy has Bette never, Midler has never failed us? Well, Bette Midler did tweet some stupid things. But aside yeah. from that... Right. We were uh, we actually were... We we never talked about the Bette Midler trans About Bette Midler tweets. being a turf. Well, she's not a turf. She's turf she's light. She's turf adjacent. Turf light. Yeah. Tur- diet turf. Um... But uh, uh, she's she she thinks J.K. Rowling's okay <laughs> on the performance level, though. I don't think that has ever wronged us, nor has Kathy Najimy. Sarah Jessica Parker maybe has, but I don't because sometimes she doesn't know what movie she's in. But I think she'll know what I mean. This is oh, uh, she I think is the one who will slay the most because yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker is amazing when it comes to physical slapstick comedy. Yeah, and even in the trailer, she was giving that say that, and also like. She's never credited for that. You know, as the 90s progressed and witches started to get sexier, I was all about that. Okay, you still have not seen the original The Craft. Yeah, but it's sexy. I thought it was yeah. like teens. It is teens, but they're sexy, sexy teens. teens. Got it, got it, got yeah, it. Of course, obviously. it was the 90s. Sexy teens played by full adults. Fully 30-year-olds. Yeah. Um, it stars Faruza Balk, who... It was in Return to Oz, which is also a movie about witches and one of my favorite films. And one of your favorite portrayals of witches, as we've one talked about in the Witch portrayals of, of Witches episode. Yes. Um, it is about a group of girls who are outcasts at school and find that they are more powerful together than apart. And But once they get power, it corrupts them and they start doing some very bad things. The vibes are correct. Mm-hmm. The looks are right. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack is amazing. It's a great little teen horror film. And very formative to you, as you always say. Extremely formative Would to you me. say that it is one of the best films ever made? <laughs> no, I won't. You I wouldn't? wouldn't? No. I thought that would be one of the ones. No. Practical Let magic? Me see. Practical magic. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, practical <laughs> magic, <laughs> honey. That, that is... It is in my top ten films. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It is in my top. We ten will films one day. Of all time. One day the virgins are going to keep track of your top ten. <laughs> yeah. And, and you'll be eating and, your words, and then you're no longer going to be able to say please, that things are in your I, you top what? ten. You know what? Please start compiling a list of all the films that I say are in my top ten, which are Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> Practical, Practical Magic, Magic, Return to Oz, Return to Oz, The Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> Marie Antoinette, Rear Window. Rear Rear Window. Rear Window is my favorite movie of all time. But Practical Magic, that was kind of the first thing that after I had moved here that I forced you 
to watch that you had yeah, never seen. I'd never seen. Because it was Halloween 2020. Mm-hmm. It was like peak pandemic, so mm-hmm. we couldn't really do anything. We did go to Channy's and had a lovely little Samhain ritual. Yeah. And then we came back to your old apartment in WeHo yeah. and watched Practical Magic for it was the, the first time. It was the perfect Halloween, And honestly. you stayed awake through the whole thing somehow. It w- well, I mean, it's very engaging in that, that the movie hinges on um, murdering a man. It's also an hour and a half long. M- murdering so. a pe- he's like a murdering a, a an domestic abuser. abuser. Yeah, yes. an abuser. Yes. And then also and and it's also about restorative justice outside of the carceral system. Yes. Because the cop comes in to try to catch them <gasps> and then ends the movie with him being like, "Oh, I don't really care that you killed him." Yeah. He got what he deserved. <laughs> It's also right, about restorative justice is yeah. really at the end of the day about the death penalty and how we should be doing that instead. It's also um, um, a story about ancestral shielding, shielding ancestral pain, shielding, shielding like, like healing, but with sh- with she- women, shielding, <laughs> shielding, ancestral shielding. Girl, girl. It also has an incredible soundtrack that slaps. To this day, mm-hmm. Stevie Nicks does multiple songs, covers of old classics. What is the thing? Can you explain to me, like, how it all started with Stevie Nicks being a witch? Like, how people just assumed or, like, made associations with Stevie Nicks that she was in witchcraft of some kind? I think it's just kind of her general vibe. And it wasn't anything I explicit think, that she says, no, right? and I think especially once she started her solo career... It just kind of became a thing. It's just one of those things. I Okay, wait. This is – I'm realizing something right now. So first of all, Stevie Nicks has gone on the record to confirm that she is in fact not a witch and that this was a rumor that started circulating in her Fleetwood Mac era of Rhiannon that I think was particularly uh, well, witchy. Rhiannon I think is – a witch? It's a song about a witch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, So people started to assume that she was a witch. And I'm also just realizing upon looking at – so when I typed this out in Google and saw the photo, I was like, oh, she looks like Olivia Newton-John. And now I re- I'm remembering, and I've said this on the pod before, that my mom once told me that Olivia Newton-John, R.I.P., was a witch oh, and had so a cauldron. Thought, so I think my mom your mo- thought – Your mom thought Olivia Newton-John was Stevie Nicks? Yes, they look kind of the same. Wow. But – Olivia, R.I.P., you were not a witch. R.I.P. So I was very disappointed because I was obsessed with Practical Magic. My mom took me to see the movie, and I lost my mind. Like, it reordered my brain Uh and, like, changed me on a chemical level. Uh Because I think up until that point, my idea of witches had been the Wicked Witch of the West. And now I saw, wait, you can be... Young and hot and have all that hair yeah. and be a witch. And have sex. And have sex. And, and be bad. And blow on candles to light them. Yeah. And your aunt is Stockard Channing. And so I wanted to dive as deep as I could into the practical magic sphere. And Practical Magic, the film, is based on a book by Alice Hoffman. So I remember checking the book out from the library because I used to spend most of my time in the library at that point. And the book was not as good as the movie. It's the book is much more sort of magical realism and like the magic is very just kind of suggested. It's like kind of exists on the outside of things. So that was very disappointing. In years since though, Alice Hoffman has written both a prequel to Practical Magic and a sequel to it. And then a fourth and final book. And are they good? They're amazing. The prequel especially, which is called The Rules of Magic, is my favorite of the four of them. It takes place 
in 1970s New York City, and it's about the ants from the movie cool. and their gay brother oh. growing up as witches. And it was in development as a series <gasps> for HBO Max. Oh. I think by Melissa Rosenberg, who's the screenwriter of the Twilight movies. Uh, uh, but nothing has really ever happened with it. So that would be so good. It might be, you should write for that. I should write for that. It might be one of those things that's kind of stuck in development forever. Yeah, forever. But it's so good. And if you need a spooky Halloween read, I really recommend that. I love that Nicole Kidman's iteration of the witch archetype, which we discussed in the Nicole Kidman episode, is a uh, dark tortured, gorgeous woman. I love that she, like, elevated the witch archetype. It's like, actually, witches are not just these, like, kind of flat villains that patently believe that Satan is their master and that they're here to terrorize humanity. Like, some witches actually have shitty boyfriends. Mm -hmm. And some witches have beautiful Madewell outfit. Actually, the fit isn't Madewell. The fit is giving free people. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.
You know what I love is that, you know, culture obviously always swings back around. And while we had in the, you know, early and mid-aughts that kind of witchcraft in things like Practical Magic and Charmed and stuff, now we have gotten to the point where we're now swinging back to the pendulum. And I think what exemplifies that most of all is the movie The Vavitch. Oh, starring Anya Taylor Joy. I was wondering what you were going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the for anyone who doesn't know, I really feel like if you listen to this podcast, you've, you've seen, probably you've seen, seen, the, seen witch. the witch. Um, the witch is basically what I love about it is it's the idea that what if the thing that all of these fucking pilgrims were scared about, you know, the thing that the oh, Salem, fucking pilgrims. the thing that the Salem witch trials were predicated on, which is that there was this witch who sold her soul to the devil, who's going to come steal your children and eat them and like curse your land, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. What if that actually happened? And the way that the witch was stylized was it was the witch, a New England folktale. And so it's like this very literal version of that idea and it's really bringing us back to the root of how the witch has always been seen in culture and i really liked that it's like almost the most literal telling of a witch story you know Mm -hmm. of these people being plagued by a witch who steals their children and curses their crops and then it ends with this young girl signing herself over the, to the devil because she wants to live deliciously. Yeah. Um, and, you know, r- floating up in the air into, like, an ecstatic orgy of witches, which is, like, very reminiscent of that famous painting of all the women floating. Oh, yeah. Nami. Um, it's, a be- it's one of the most beautiful filmic finales. And I think is honestly shows off what A24 does best. I th- It's probably my favorite A24 movie. Um, I honestly, since now that you've mentioned living deliciously, um, I, I think that um, the the witch doesn't have like necessarily a specific take right on um, the Salem witch trials or the things that happened after it. Right? It's it's a very like folkloric, true to the text portrayal of a witch that feels like somehow. Exactly in the period, but also hyper contemporary. Like she feels real as fuck. Like that is something that I love about this movie. But it should be said that like the Salem witch trials were literally just misogyny, often like racialized misogyny, right? Mm-hmm. With like a Scooby Doo mask on it. Like yeah. it, they they literally thought that this was witchcraft, and actually they just like hated women. I know. I was I was also really into the Salem witch trials as a concept when I was a kid. Same. Um, I went to Salem once, and um, <gasps> you did. I did one year during October. I was in Salem, just like the Real Housewives of New York. <laughs> yes, just like that. Just like that. Um, and I loved The Crucible. It was one of my favorite plays. I loved the film version mm-hmm. with Daniel Day Lewis mm-hmm. and Winona Ryder. Yeah, they were both really good. Winona's incredible in that movie. I would love to see a stage a stage production of it. Have slash, you never seen one? I think I maybe have, but I don't remember. If our high school did it or if I saw it somewhere. But I something that I like about The Crucible and its like contribution to the discourse is that cultural mania had like fatal consequences. You know what I mean? Like zooming out of that 
Arthur Miller was trying to say something about McCarthyism. Yes. Oh, yeah. Literally, McCarthyism and like how we as a culture to this day still create mania and um, dangerous groupthink that has fatal consequences. Yes. Well, I do think it's important for us to talk about the place of the witch in culture Mm -hmm. as she or they have existed (laughs) through the entirety of history. You know, the witch is the other. The witch is unbridled, powerful femininity that must be hung or burned to the stake Mm -hmm. or chained. Um, You know, the witch is our fear of someone who society has decided should not have power having too much of it. Right. And I think that, honestly, I don't know where she falls into the chronology of, like, a history of witches, but, like, I always think of, like, Lilith, right? And, like, her place in this canon of women with mystical powers that were, like, scorned by society. Um, for the virgins that don't know, our friend Chani has, like, given like given me a lot of context in, like, Lilith and, like, her place in the Talmud and, like, in Jewish folklore and how in some iterations of the text, she's, like, the OG Eve of Adam and Eve. and She's Adam's first wife. Yes, yeah, yeah. In some, like, people have different, like, ways of interpreting, like, where Lilith comes from or whatever. But, yeah, if she is Adam's first wife, Adam was basically like, you have to lie under me. You have to subjugate yourself to me. And Lilith literally was like, no. Like, Well, because wasn't the issue that Lilith was created alongside Adam, so saw herself as his equal. Yes. And then once she was cast out of Eden, that's why Eve was created from Adam's rib, so she would always be subjugated to him. Well, I think is somewhere in the Babylonian Talmud, it's like the rib is not present. They are supposed to be equal. And Adam was like, no, we're not equal. And Lilith was like, yes, we are. And she refused basically to participate in this union. And she left Eden, speaking of living deliciously, she left Eden because she knew that pleasure was more powerful than perfection. And the promise of Eden, sorry, this is very philosophical, but I have like a lot of thoughts on Lilith slash slash, like have like a Lilith tattoo. I have a Lilith tattoo too. Oh my God. I want like a real, that's like so good. I want like an actual more explicitly Lilith tattoo like yours. Um, Rose has, what is this? The the symbol on her finger. It's the symbol of Lilith. Um, But um, the, the promise of Eden was perfection, right? Like God was like, if you stay here, we all get to be perfect forever because there's no sin here. And Lilith was like, wait, hold up. Sin actually makes life imperfect and therefore fun, interesting, like compelling, emotional, like pleasure, pain, chaos magic are the things that What's like What's that make... like the taste of butter? Yes. What's that like a per- to wear yes! a pretty dress? What's yes! that like to live deliciously? And those are the things that make life worth living. Yeah. And I and and, and then, Lilith is also thought of as the mother of demons. Yes. she left Eden and became, became the mother of demons. Yes, and so yeah, and she's, and in some tellings, the first witch. Yes, she is a Hecate-like figure that became a culturally demonized like portrayal of like evil women, basically. Because the witch in many different cultures and histories like is a figure whose whose kind of purpose and allegiances and like good or evil or neutrality is always shifting based on 
who yep. is telling the story and what the agenda is. And, yep. and usually if that story is being told by a man, because if it is being told Literally. by a man or being told by men, by the patriarchy, then the witch is, you know, evil and corrupting and an agent of Satan. If it's being told by women, you know, there there have been witches in many cultures who are the healers and the midwives yeah. and, you know, the soothsayers and the wise women of the village. Mm-hmm. And it's just very you know, interesting how we can all agree that this type of woman specifically um, has always existed. And there are so many different variations, like just today and all the different pieces of media we're talking about. There's so many different ideas of what a witch has been and could be. And that's what I think is so fascinating about the idea of a witch is that she can be anything because she has been everything. Yeah. Um, and the possibilities are endless. That's why I think people return to witches in storytelling over and over and over again. Yeah. And I, I honestly— And it's also—and also because a witch is someone who asserts their will upon the world, who looks at the world and says, no, this will change. Witchcraft is manifesting or tranifesting your will upon the world and changing it through magic. And I think it's very interesting that like right now and maybe for the last like five plus years, there has been, at least in America, like a a greater acceptance or popularity of astrology, mysticism, you know, tarot, things that have been culturally stigmatized in the kind of like 80s and 90s that now have preeminence because culturally we are just like moving further and further away from Christianity and moving further and further away from organized religion as we've like discovered that it is responsible for pretty much like all of the oppressive forces on the planet since the dawn of time for the most part. And I feel like as like witchcraft or like mysticism or like whatever our way into the otherworldly and the occult is, now that we don't have God, it's like we're trying to find other things that to make our lives make sense. And that witchcraft is something that is inherently empowering and subcultural and therefore has even more cultural value now. Yeah, well, I think it's very telling that the time in my life that I found myself most identifying as a witch, the time in my life when I felt the most spiritual and was kind of the most able to do kind of a, you know, like let myself do things like be part of ritual and, um, you know, have an altar at home were the times in my life when I was most deeply invested in community. Yeah. Um, And you did it before it was popular. Before it was like popular in the way it is now. Yeah. But I think there is something to be said about the times in my life when I was deeply invested in queer community and queer community spaces and spaces that were aiming to be sort of transcendent and like, um, you know, ecstatic and sort of the truest sense of the word. Those were the places where magic felt kind of possible and also where trying to make magic was actually happening is because in those like liminal spaces, it does feel kind of like something that's achievable. Like when you're in a room full of queer people in this like sort of sacred space that you have created against all odds, it does feel like you can maybe achieve something like alchemical or transformative or even divine. And, you know, 
nowadays, I yeah. I don't have as much time for that. But it is time consuming. It is time consuming. <laughs> but like I have, you know, I have been part of large scale rituals, mm-hmm. both in more like nightlife centric spaces, and then also in fairy spaces and sort of communal spaces out in nature. And there is, you know, I, I do think there's something to be said for like mass delusion and mass hysteria. Yeah. But but I have I have definitely felt real magic. Yeah. I, I have absolutely felt it. I but I think that honestly, like I wish Channy was here. Um, but like I do think that our friend Channy Nicholas. Our friend Channy Nicholas, I think that the popularity of like work like hers is something that even she would like talk about and nuance, like saying that like both can exist, right? Like we have these spaces of mysticism that are empowering and important for personal growth or like at the actual cultivation of magic. And then there's also this like cult thing that's happening that, especially in the 2020s, is now becoming an erasure, honestly, of like practices that are ancient, indigenous, historically black, things like that. So like when we have like sage and crystals and um, brujeria, like non-Christian iterations of a kind of magical belief system. I think even something as common as it is now to hear someone say, I didn't like their energy. Yes. Or, yes. I'm, or I'm not feeling the vibe. The vibes. That has, vibes really, that has really worked its way into our vernacular <gasps> yes. in a way that I don't think it existed before. And we, we live in a society <laughs> that I believe has accepted the idea that there is some sort of metaphysical plane we all exist on. And so when J-Lo said, get the Virgo off of my dance crew. <laughs> I'm not watching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was partaking in the very thing you're you're alluding to. She was. Speaking of dance, one film that I wish that you would watch that I'm sure you never will is Suspiria. Oh, yeah. I, I watched the first... I don't know how long, but I watched up until the contortion. Okay. The contortion. Well, the movie's three hours long. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I, so the original Suspiria, which is a Dario Argento film, it's like a very famous. This is also in your top 10. It's a, yes, it is. <laughs> um, not the original, the new one. The Dario Argento film is like a very psychedelic 70s horror film that is really considered a classic. It was remade by Luca Guadagnino, who directed Call Me By Your Name in. 2018, starring Tilda Swinton and Dakota Johnson and Mia Goth, who's having a glow-up moment right now. Mm-hmm. I really prefer the remake to the original, mm-hmm. and I think the idea of a coven of witches using the cover of being a dance company is really interesting. Yeah, um, it And it just leads to so many incredible set pieces of, of movement as magic mm. and that's something like uh, you know going back to what i was talking about before like i think some of the times in my life when i felt the most like i was part of something larger than myself and like felt attuned to the people around me and felt something magical was when i was dancing yeah and honestly it reminds me a lot of what i think most people believe to be the best scene in midsommar when florence Pugh is being like kind of pulled into that clan of women and having her kind of grief in her grief state is like reckoning with 
the infidelity that's going on right in front of her. And she starts moving and breathing in tandem with that crowd of women. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Like, it reminds me, I think that combined with The Vich, combined with um, the movie Suspiria, Mm -hmm. all kind of build on the communal aspect that you're talking Mm -hmm. about. How the coven, the coven is actually a gorgeous metaphor of sisterhood and how the subjugation and ostracization of women and femmes creates a more equitable power that you now have. Sometimes it does, unless you are in American Horror Story. Um, (laughs) Which that that show. And then all it does is pit women against each other. (laughs) Do you like that series? Because I feel like I I haven't, I've only watched that um, American Horror Story season from beginning to end. It's the only one I've completed. But I, people always say it's the best one. It's not my favorite one. I see why people think it's the best one because What's I think it's fave? I think it's the most fun and the most campy. Yeah, it is. Um, my fave is honestly probably Hotel. Gaga. Um, Gaga. Or maybe Murder House. I think the best season of American Horror Story is Asylum. Okay. But it's not one I want to rewatch. Yeah. Um, Coven is fun. It's just a little too silly. And I think, you know, the problem that every season of American Horror Story has is that they start out so strong and then halfway through the season it's like, what are we going to do now? Yeah. And that's very much what happens with Coven. And the first couple episodes of Coven are so fun. Uh, when Coven was airing, I was watching it at live viewings <gasps> in Brooklyn, which were so fun because this was like peak yeah, American when, horror story. And when Ryan had like the most cultural power he has, yeah. probably. What I don't like about Coven, I think, is that, I mean, unfortunately, this is also just a Ryan Murphy thing in that he does this amazing thing where he creates roles for the older actresses, mm-hmm. but often what he's writing in those roles is women who are obsessed with youth and regaining youth. And that's what I didn't love about Coven was that the whole story was about this woman who wants to hang on to youth Mm -hmm. um, by any means necessary. And And that youth equates to power. Mm -hmm. When I think the great thing about witches historically is that witches are one of the few you know, archetypes we have in culture of a powerful older woman. A powerful woman that has no problem being uggo-buggo. And also witches historically honor all the points of womanhood. Like when you talk about Hecate and the triple goddess, it's maiden mother crone. It's recognizing that those three parts of a woman's life are all equally important. Yeah. And like while we love like hot fashion witches, like we love our – Kieran and Shipka's and our Balenciaga's and like all that jazz. It's like actually like in the Mad Madam Mim of it all, the power of a witch is that she's like, I am as ugly as you can imagine. And yet that that is no detriment to like my power and the power that I have over you, right? Where in like non-magical society, the uglier you are, the less power you have. But the witch is like, you can do whatever you want to me. Like, you can't touch me. You know it's not I mean? even necessarily even ugliness. It's literally just age, you know? Yes. Right. Sure, sure, sure. I was going to say on the coven of it all. So I watched it for the first time last year. Did you know that? I didn't. Um, it's the only AHS that I have finished, though I did watch a lot of Murder House. And um, I'm really shook by how many big swings he took to, like, talk about black culture within, like, the show. But, like, 
it was never like built upon or like fleshed out. And also like he never had any black writers in his like room, I don't think. Or at least that's what I remember looking at when I was like watching it. Francis Conroy's character in Coven to me is like Ryan Murphy at his best, right? A witch who cares Myrtle about Snow. Yes. A witch who cares about labels is genius and uh, t- cares about labels and is a snob like is a maybe even like a classist like i thought that was so interesting the things that he was trying to say about like racism and how like kathy bates was like this kind of belligerently white supremacist person who like learned her lesson by way of like gabby sidibe i was like this did not age well at all like doesn't make any sense to me but again it like came out at the exact right time probably like came out exactly before people were fully canceling or, like, trying to call critique to things like this, right? Um, But, yeah, I think the fact that it is a coven and, like, to our point, like, that covens have this kind of, like, cultural meaning throughout time makes it one of Ryan Murphy's greatest contributions in his canon. And I, you know, I like, um, you know, a solitary witch story, you know, the kikis of the world and, you know, um, but I think some of my favorite witch stories are about sisterhood and community. That's why I love Witches of Eastwick and Practical Mm -hmm. Magic and even the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, had its issues. I I was so excited about how it started Mm -hmm. and I think it has one of the best trailers for a TV show ever made. I also think the first season, well, maybe not the last two episodes, but the first season was really good. First season's really good. Yeah. Um, The end was not great, but... I think that show was most effective when it brought the witches together and you really felt that sense of, like, family and sisterhood. And and that yeah. writer's room was also, like, black and trans, right? And they, they tried to bring voodoo back to indigeneity and to blackness, which I thought was cool. Like, there are a lot of things about the Sabrina franchise that was slightly reparative or trying to restore what maybe was erased in the the, the you know— the canon of witchcraft. And, you know, that's something that if you look at Harry Potter, like there was never a moment in Harry Potter, despite the fact that it was about a war and obviously, you know, being on different side of, sides of the war and like fighting alongside people. Their like magic system was one in which it was all about individual power. And yeah. There was never a moment where we saw people like doing a spell together. And I don't know, that's like maybe just a weird aside, but I think it's like very telling of the person who wrote it. I was just going to say, actually, that is kind of interesting. Like the only kind of communal, the communal like moments of magic in Harry Potter that I can think of are like, what? Like Like, when they they build the fortress around But that's only in the movies. It's not in the books. Oh, that's not in the books? It's not in the books. And, you know... Oh, God, that scene is so good. You know, there's no... Like, Harry Potter, that's a magic system where I think magic in Harry Potter is so banal and so everyday, and there's no sense of, like, wonder about it, and there's no real ritual around Mm. magic. Yeah, there isn't. Um, And I think that's kind of boring. I I prefer, you know, like, I loved and charmed when they would, like, hold hands and say a spell. Yeah, Harry Potter was trying to do a different version of it. But I will say, honestly, that scene where they're creating the fortress and when McGonagall, like, um, anthropomorphizes the statues... Makes me cry every time. 
sobbing and also per- sobbing, shitting, throwing up. I was literally, on the floor. and that's not exaggerated. I remember physically crying, and I also yeah. think it's in the my, books too. It gets I'm me. I'm pretty sure it's my favorite scene in the entire franchise. It's I'm so sure. good. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We... You know, have come so far from the, you know, original iconography of the witch, like even from, you know, Shakespeare, like oh, uh, Macbeth, yeah. the, three, yeah. the three witches, yeah, yeah, yeah. double, double toil and trouble. Yes. Something um, wicked, something wicked this way comes. Which... And now, and now I think we're at a point where we're looking back at historical witches through a different lens. Like, yeah. you know, we've talked about the Madeline Miller effect on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read the novel Circe, it's about Circe, who's a demigoddess and, you know, sort of the original witch in Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And it's about her discovering that she is, you know, she kind of invents witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I would kind of love to see that take applied to, like, what if there was like a Madeline Miller-esque Macbeth book on the three witches, Ugh. you know? 
Uh, wait, I'm surprised that doesn't that? exist. I'll bet you it does exist somewhere. But like, honestly, like the witches in Macbeth, honestly, like their whole function is like prophecy, yeah. right? Like they're the fates of the story, but they don't have any sort of like interiority or anything. That really no. would be a good. Um, we should write that orange. I'm story. sure. I'm sure it's been done in yeah. some kind of way. And now we by have... the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. And of the wicked witches. In the culture right now, we have the queen herself, Miss Wanda. Yes. Who is... Wanda Maximoff. I would, this is chaos magic this Wanda. This is chaos magic Wanda. I do think that Wanda is maybe the most culturally relevant witch-making work right now, Rose. <laughs> she is working. She came on this bitch mad as hell. <laughs> yes, Fat, she nasty, did. broke. I'm trying to think of any others. Like, Sabrina is no longer relevant, unfortunately. Though I do think that Sabrina was what you were saying, that that kind of taking the witch narrative and making it something very contemporary. I mean, it's been a while since we did our Multiverse of Madness episode, and I have since rewatched it, and I have kind of, like, shifted my take wait, on wait, it. Wait, wait, please. Which is, I don't think it's a very good movie, <laughs> and I think it kind of did Wanda dirty, and I think mm. it kind of erodes all the character development that happened in WandaVision. Because, but, because she's so flatly villainous? Yes. I agree with that because she's way more complex in the show. And so it it is to me really discarding. And she's also just not the main character, which is frustrating. And to it watch. just shows that she didn't learn her lesson because yeah. the whole of WandaVision is about her realizing that she can't use magic to get something she wants at other people's expense. And she literally starts over and does that again in Doctor Strange. I also thought the way she was vanquished was unbelievable. Like she got crushed by rocks. Well, she, I was like, well, I was like, I obviously she, she's not dead. Well, no, but I think she vanquished herself and oh, like disappeared. And right. I hope there's more from her. I hope we get like one of Wanda's actual iconic storylines from the comics. I think it'll probably be a while just because they need to do so much setting up this next the next few phases of the MCU for us to get to mutants and like possibly to like House of M and Is Agatha slated for next year though? Next year, yeah. Yeah, okay. Agatha and it has a new name now. It's Coven of Chaos. What? So, you know, this the thing is because witches have always existed in culture and in pop culture, they are cyclical. So I think we are due for a more kind of full-throated, like, actual resurgence of a lot of different types of witches in media at some point. The way that we have gotten on and off with vampires with werewolves, with all of the above and things like True Blood. Um, the witches in True Blood kind of suck, though. Yeah. Um, God, I, I could talk I could talk for hours about witches. I could, too, honestly. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, by definition, they are a part of a subculture and therefore inherently, like, queer slash trans. You know what I mean? Like, I think that in terms of, like, what I would love to see from future witch stories is something of what Sabrina was trying to do, which is show us a slate of witch, or maybe the Charmed reboot, you know what I mean? Show us a slate of witches that place witchcraft in 
queerness, transness, cultural ostracization. Well, that happened in a book that I talked about on this podcast recently, Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson. Uh I described it sort of shortly then, but I'll I'll, I'll describe it a little bit more at length here. So it's a novel about a society in England in which witches have always had kind of a, a secret shadow government inside the actual government and they govern themselves and you know deal with supernatural events and have like liaisons with the main government and a couple years before the novel takes place there was a magical war and so the main characters are all now coming off a couple years since that war ended they're a group of friends who grew up together very closely they're all witches and they've now all kind of fallen out of touch and one of the witches has broken off from the main coven because it was um, entirely made up of white witches and she's now formed her own more inclusive coven um, <laughs> that's I think called diaspora which is like a, a bit on the nose yeah sure. but and then you know most interestingly um, so in this world witches are only women and they are significantly more powerful than their male counterparts warlocks And they find a child who they believe to be the Antichrist. He's a boy who has much more magical ability than he should have. And as it turns out, this person is a trans woman. No way. And that's why she is more powerful. And so it has all of the characters kind of question how they feel about that. And several of them are like, oh, it makes sense. She's a girl. That's why she's more powerful. And there's never really a question of like, the science or, like, the magic yeah. of it all. It's just, like, some of them obviously have to work through different ways that they feel about it, but they do kind of say, like, okay, well, th- this person is who she is, but then one of the women who is the leader of the coven is a turf and doesn't want this person invading women's spaces. I remember you telling me that the and turfs were the villains. It's... It's it's a really really good book and it does all of those things that you were just talking about which we is We need this movie adaptation which is placing these archetypes and kind of the the same stories we tell about which is over and over again in a very contemporary setting and like throwing identity politics at them and seeing how they work out and that's something I'm so interested to see what the next evolution of the witch as a cultural figure is and now. I think we will be the ones to do it. <laughs> yeah, we will be the ones. Okay, so that is down on week one of our special Halloween extravaganza. Mm. Next week, we'll be back with two new episodes, a special episode all about Silence of the Lambs. Which Um, I've never seen. Which Fran has never seen. And then on Thursday, an episode all about Tim Burton. So go back, watch Edward Scissorhands or Sleepy Hollow or Beetlejuice, whatever. And um, in the meantime, find us on social. You can tag our Finsta at likeavirgin42069. Slide into our DMs. We want to hear from you. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or rating on Spotify. It helps us out so much. We cannot tell you how much. Uh, I'm your co-host, Rose Damu. And I am Fran Dorado. You can find me anywhere on social at Rose Damu. You can find me at Fran Squishco. You can subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Cranetrich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, double, double toil and trouble. Me. Until next week, <laughs> sisters, we fly. Fly, my pretty. <laughs> I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.